Welcome to the Hidden Archives. I'm your host, Nicole Clark. Thank you once again for joining us as we get back on track with the regularly scheduled releases. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to let you know that the next time we meet, we should have some special news for you. You may get this news as it breaks if you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. These links will, from this point forward, be included in the show notes. The next episode will be out two weeks from now, and I mean that this time. Tonight, Jordan Peele is the architect of our understanding with his quote. I realized the only way to battle the unpleasantness of my own nightmares was to become one of the monsters. I do hope the nightmare we are about to present to you is not too unpleasant, so I suggest you heed the following warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. Many of you are here probably because you are looking for some distraction from your insomnia. If this is true, you have something in common with tonight's protagonist. You see, he has been struggling with this condition for a long time, which has led him on a journey to find a cure. Warning. May cause drowsiness. Well, no shit. Just gotta wait for them to kick in. Stupid pills. They better do the trick this time. I mean, I'm getting sleep these days, finally. Have since I started on him. But I don't know if it's doing any good. And that's why I took the last 40 pills just now. Insomnia is a beast of a condition. I've not gotten any good sleep in about two, maybe three years. Don't even know how this all started. I think when I first noticed it started was one time when I walked into my bedroom and noticed the glass of water on my nightstand that previously contained water was dry as the Sahara Desert and crusted with lines of calcium where the water had slowly evaporated in stages. I guess I hadn't been in there in a while to refill the glass, much less sleep in my own bed. Any sleep I did get was when I dozed off at my computer, where I spent most of the nights up to this point watching old movies that I illegally downloaded. I never even dozed off for that long. Just long enough for my chin to slip off my hand and onto the keyboard, pausing the movie in the process. But this only accounted for two or three hours a week. It's funny how quickly you get used to insomnia like that. Eventually you realize that you have better things to do, and suddenly you have more time to do them. My apartment was always spotless. My car never ran better and I even found time to dabble in watercolors. Admittedly, though, I'm not very good. Never could quite figure out how to blend the colors. But I digress. Things went smoothly for a while. My job suffered a bit, but no one really took notice that the job performance of the paper guy was slipping. Still, though, after the first year or so, 
I decided that I should probably do something. Plan A was to drink just enough to get me buzz. Then I might be relaxed enough to sleep. It didn't work too well, though. When you mix severe insomnia with mild alcoholic intoxication, reality starts to slip. Plan B. Drink more. I tried getting blackout drunk a few times, but I never actually passed out. I just threw it up again and had to deal with a hangover on top of everything else. Over time, I tried various other things. Exercise, allergy pills, over-the-counter sleep aids. And I even picked up smoking, thinking that it would relax me enough to settle back into bed. Though it only seemed to wake me up more. After all of that, I just gave up looking for a solution. It was a trip, though. About halfway through what I think was the second year of this, reality started to seem plastic. It wasn't quite set, you know? Then after I planted my car on the side of an oak tree because I couldn't stop staring at the gauges that were smiling at me from the instrument cluster, I decided that I probably should see the doctor. Apparently, this was one of the worst cases he'd ever seen. I think he just said that to be dramatic. To try and scare me into a cure. So he prescribed some experimental sleeping pills. These little opalescent crimson-colored gel pills looked like they were filled with blood. But he guaranteed that each one would give me two hours of sleep. I could take just four, and I would be guaranteed a full night's rest. So I said, sure. Two hours, huh? Well, I've tried everything else. Might as well give this a go. I dumped two or three of them into my hand. They weren't much bigger than an air rifle BB. On the front, there was the company logo, DC with a thin line striking horizontally through the middle. On the back was a two that had been circled. I guess this was their way of marking the dose, two hours of sleep. I wondered if there were stronger ones, you know? Four or eight hours per pill? I wasn't sure why the dose was so low, or the pills this small for that matter, but I threw the handful in the back of my throat, drank the recommended 24 ounces of water, and waited. It was about an hour and a half before I felt anything. Then it hit me like a truck rear-ending a Mazda. Whoa, was all I could say before I passed out. Suddenly I was dreaming. And I knew I was dreaming too. Things just seemed surreal. I could remember taking the pills, waiting then suddenly appearing there in the dream. There I was, in a normal-looking corner office. I could feel the tight-knit, conservatively gray carpet under my Italian leather shoes. I looked at the suit I was wearing. Navy blue, probably Italian as well. Red tie, silk. And silver cufflinks that looked like tiny metal pastries. Suddenly, a woman walked in and said, Thomas Gibson? Nice to finally meet you. 
I've been looking over your resume, and I think you are exactly what we are looking for here at Magicom Technologies. Apparently, I had just gotten a job. Uh, yeah, thank you, ma'am. No, no, no. There will be none of that, she said jovially. Just call me Nikki, or Mrs. Michaels, if you prefer. Sure, Mrs. Michaels. I had been dreaming for five minutes, and I already had a job. I wondered how this dream would progress. I shook hands with Mrs. Michaels, walked out of the office, and made a beeline for the elevators. I pushed the down arrow and waited for the doors to open. I glanced at my watch, rather impatiently, and happened to notice that I was wearing a Rolex. So far, I liked what I saw in this dream. It started to feel more real, and things were going well. I had always wanted to work in the communications field, since that is what I had actually studied in college. Best of all, though, I felt awake and energized. Insomnia had no hold on me here. The doors of the elevator opened, and I got into a mirrored elevator car. By the time the elevator reached the ground floor, I was starving. I decided to find a cafe or something nearby. I stepped out onto the sidewalk and waited for a cab to come around. This is taking forever. I'd take a bus, cab, or anything at this point. Though my own car would be nice, I thought to myself. Just then, a black Porsche pulled up in front of me at the curb. A kid in a white shirt and red vest stepped out of the driver's side, thrust the keys at me, and said in an out-of-breath creaky voice, Sorry that took so long, sir. A Ferrari in front of me stalled at the garage exit. Here's your keys. I took the keys and started rummaging around in my pocket for some loose bills. Uh, how much do I owe you? I asked. The kid looked confused. You paid when I parked it, sir. Oh, right. Here, a tip, I guess. I handed him a $10 bill that I had finally located in my inner jacket pocket. The car had onboard GPS, and I still wanted to find a cafe, so I fired it up to see what was nearby. Then I noticed the address book option. This should be interesting, I thought. The only saved location was home, so I tapped the screen, hit the go button, and set off to discover where home was. It was a 35-mile trip. I guess I was a commuter. But, hey, I was only dreaming, wasn't I? So I decided to see where I lived. Two freeway traffic jams, and three and a half hours later, I arrived at a gated neighborhood in the hills. Now, how was I supposed to get through the gate? There was no number pad to enter any code, so I figured that it must be a control of some sort in the car. I glanced around for something and spotted two remotes clipped to the sun visor in the little Porsche. I reasoned that one must be for the gate and the other for the garage. One of them was black and the other was the same gray as the gate. Sure enough, when I clicked the button on the gray one, the gate came swinging open. It all seemed very familiar. 
I pulled up in front of a nice little single-story house. The sun was setting as I pulled into the garage, and I started to feel tired. I walked through the garage door and into the kitchen, grabbed an apple from a large glass bowl, ate it, then decided to find a place to lie down. The living room was nice enough, so I loosened my tie, slipped off my jacket, and plopped lazily onto the couch. It wasn't long before I was asleep. Apparently, I was able to make it to the bedroom before the pills took effect and sent me on my trip. I wondered how much sleep I had gotten this time, so I looked at the blue digital alarm clock on my nightstand. It was right by the glass of water, once again full for the first time in ages, that I always kept there. Six hours. The pills worked exactly as they were supposed to. And it seemed that the six hours of sleep matched the six hours that I spent in the dream. I had papers to deliver, though. Still feeling as lethargic as ever, I got up, poured a cup of coffee from the automatic coffee maker, and made my way to my beat-up little Hyundai. Sure, it ran well, but I would have much preferred the Porsche from my dream. Then, it occurred to me. It seemed I could control certain aspects of my dreams. I would need to experiment again tonight to see what all I could actually do. By the time the last paper was delivered four hours later, I was exhausted again. A nap was certainly in order. I walked into my apartment, threw my keys beside the computer on my desk, and went to the kitchen where I could find that unnecessarily large green bottle full of the tiny red pills. Two hours seemed like a good nap, so I only took one pill. Again, an hour and a half later, I was face down on my bed. I awoke with a start, similar to the one that you get from those dreams where it feels like you are falling. I looked around to find I was back in the living room, in my living room. I looked at the Rolex on my wrist. It was only five and a half hours later here. That was the same amount of time that had passed in reality before I took the pill. The dream had picked up right where it left off. Logically, this meant that I had two hours here, and I remembered that I wanted to experiment. I still felt hungry. I could really go for a slice of German chocolate cake right about now, I said aloud as I got up to go to the kitchen. Sure enough, when I pulled the stainless steel refrigerator door open, there was a whole cake right in the middle of the top shelf. I took my time eating half of the cake. What was the point in moderation? I could always wish myself healthy and thin. I was starting to like sleep again though this did only leave me about an hour before I woke up. Fell asleep? Whatever. And I knew just the thing to do with one hour. Go driving like a maniac in a certain little black Porsche. It took me a few minutes to find the back roads, but I found them empty, just as I wanted. However, I wasn't going to drive like I would in real life. 
that would be too boring. I was going to drive blindfolded. I had 45 minutes for some fun. I took that silly red tie, made sure I couldn't see through it, and knotted it behind my head over my eyes as a blindfold. Then I floored it. However, I must have forgotten to turn off the GPS unit. It called out the turns and I decided to follow its advice. That was the most fun I've ever had. Half an hour later, the GPS said, You have now arrived at your destination. So I unknotted the tie to see that I had pulled up in front of my own gate. Good, because I was dead tired again. This time, I went into the bedroom and passed out on my plush, king-sized bed. There I was again, back in my crappy apartment, back in my crappy life, precisely two hours later. And just as tired as before. Were these pills doing anything? I spent the next six months or so experimenting. I took different doses at different times. Went a few weeks on end without taking any to see if I could get any sleep without the pills. And every other combination of pills and sobriety I could think of. Then, just tonight in fact, I decided to read the pill bottle for the first time. You know, all the drug facts and whatnot. About halfway down the label it read, Warning, taking more than 12 pills in a 24-hour period may cause irreversible coma. Well, that certainly is a strange warning. But right about now, that actually sounds good to me. I read the rest of the warning label and side effects to see what else might happen if I went through with this. Drowsiness, fatigue, don't operate machinery, stay near a Wi-Fi signal, may cause hallucinations, drink plenty of water, etc. None of these matter to me. I'll be pleasantly unaware of this world. My dreams seem more real now than this does, anyway. I've made a nice life there in my dreams. And it has been just about an hour and a half now. I've called the paramedics, so someone will find me soon enough. What you have just heard is being treated as a journal entry by Mr. Thomas Gibson. The paramedics did find him in a comatose state, just as he knew he would be. They also found a green pill bottle on the kitchen counter that, although empty, had contained a drug that has only recently moved on to further clinical trials. New evidence suggests that the coma can be reversed. The latest stages of drug testing have revealed this. In fact, there has been a complete success rate at reviving patients from comas that 100% of other test subjects intentionally induced. However, it has become clear that Mr. Gibson wasn't entirely aware of all the side effects. There was a secondary label that he never noticed, stuck behind the first label. This one had another warning. Warning. This drug has shown an extremely high rate of dependency and potential for abuse. 
It is advised that you stop use immediately and consult your doctor should such symptoms become apparent. Thomas Gibson may have consulted his doctor if he read the label, and his doctor would have told him about the other test subjects falling into comas. He may also have told him that, though such cases were successfully revived, test subjects suffered a clear inability to live a normal life. They complained of a hellish duality in their waking life, as if the dream state continued to play out over the perception of the waking world. All of the test subjects had to be committed to special care facilities. Many had even attempted suicide in an effort to end the wakefulness and return to a permanent state of sleep. Two have been successful. Mr. Gibson's doctor may have even said that the drug had not been approved by the FDA. It was for test purposes only, and that it should be used only with extreme caution under the strict supervision of medical professionals in a modern medical facility. Finally, he may also have said that the drug may cause insomnia. Did anyone else think that the last part of the story was just an overt message on the importance of reading? We'd like to thank you all for joining us once again, and we look forward to joining you next time. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, in Archivum. <laughs>